God is good? And all the time? Glad that you chose to worship with us today. My name is, is John. If you don't know, I'm blessed to serve as the pastor here. I want to invite you to find your way to Joshua chapter 2. Joshua chapter number 2. And we are in a week 3 of our series entitled Women of Worth. And originally I was planning on speaking on Esther today, but uh, really kind of God redirected that. And so we're going to be talking about Rahab from Joshua chapter number two. And so week number one, we looked at the story of Ruth. And when we see the story of Ruth, we, we found out that Ruth, really she became the great grandmother of King David, right? From the line of David where Jesus would come. And in the story of Ruth, Ruth, Ruth really is a picture of us. Like Ruth is a picture of just a normal average person, right? Or maybe an abnormal average person, right? Depending on how you might think of yourself. But she just pictures us and she was desperate. She was in a desperate situation. She needed to be, the word that continued to come out of the text was she needed to be redeemed. And, and so she, as weird as it may sound, especially in the culture, she asked Boaz. And Boaz is a picture, a type of Jesus, so again, as we think about the story, Ruth is a type of us and, and Boaz was a type of Jesus. And she asked Boaz, will you marry me? And it went on to say in the text, will you be my close relative? And close relative meant, will you redeem me? So she simply asked Boaz, will you redeem me? What did Boaz say, yes or no? What did Boaz say, yes or no? All right, just making sure you're awake. Yes, he said yes. Let's think about that for a moment. If Ruth is a picture of us, Boaz is a picture of Jesus. And if we ask Jesus, Jesus, will you redeem me? What will Jesus say? Yes, every time. It's a story for all of us that if we come to Christ and ask Christ in our desperate situation, what is our desperate situation? We are sinners. We're born into sin and our sin separates us from a holy, righteous God and we must be redeemed. We must be redeemed back to God, but we couldn't pay the price. Remember, our good enough will never be good enough, but Jesus paid the price and so Jesus can be our close relative, our kinsman redeemer, and we simply have to ask. And Jesus will say yes. Last week on Mother's Day, we looked at the story of Mary, the mother of Jesus, and I love the story of Mary and really it was about like God asking us difficult things or what we might be scared God's going to ask us to do. Remember like maybe he's going to ask me to go to Africa or something and, and we're scared of what God might ask us to do. And Mary finds herself being asked something big of God. The angel Gabriel comes to Mary and says, you're going to have a child and he's going to be the Messiah the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And she's, how can this be? I don't know a man. And remember what the angel said? With God, all things are what? Possible. That we can overcome our fear through faith because God is a big God. I love the story. In Luke chapter one, verse 38, Mary said this. She said, behold, the maidservant of the Lord. Then she went on to say, whatever God you want, 
I'm available. I'm, I'm yours. However you want to use me. Let it be unto me as you've spoken, is what she said. But this statement, behold, I'm the maidservant of the Lord, what she was declaring was that I am a servant of the Lord. That, that statement, that understanding, that what she, as Daniel would have said, what she purposed in her heart before the angel ever showed up, she had made a decision that I'm going to surrender my life to God. Whatever God wants from me, the answer is yes. And when God came with a big ask, she said yes. And that was the challenge, right? That we would pray and simply obey. Whatever God is asking us to do, even if it's a big ask. So in Joshua chapter two, we have the story of Rahab. And I kind of have this, um, I guess, habit, tradition, I don't know, when, when I know what text I'm gonna be preaching or maybe a specific subject matter I'm gonna be preaching, usually a week or two before that, uh, when I'm working out every morning, I just put my phone in the locker, I find a YouTube sermon, and I just listen to a sermon while I'm working out just to kind of help me. I'm, I'm, I, need, I need a lot of help. Let's just, be, let's just say it that way. Hey, I had some good news this morning. This is a side note, right? Uh, remember a few weeks ago, I talked about how big my ears were, thanks to my dad. And somebody told me today that in, in Asian culture, that means you have a lot of wisdom. So I'm, I'm going to identify as Asian from now on. We'll see if it, we'll see if it works. Okay. My, my dad's the smartest of us all, if that's true. So, sorry, dad. You know, your ears never stop growing. So I know what to look forward to. Right. But I was listening to a message of Skip Heitzig and, and his outline on this text was so good that I'm just going to steal it. Okay. And I don't think it's stealing if I give him credit. Is that true? Are we at least in agreement with that? Okay. So if it's bad, it's his fault. Okay. We'll, we'll just de we'll declare that. Uh, but here's, if, if you have to have a title for a sermon and you're taking notes, here's, here's the title. From House of Shame to Hall of Fame. From House of Shame to Hall of Fame. This is the story of Rahab. So Joshua chapter 2, follow along as I read, beginning in verse number 1. Now Joshua the son of Nun sent out two men from Acacia Grove to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and came to the house of a harlot. There's a hard word, right? A harlot named Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men have come here tonight from the children of Israel to search out the country. So the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all the country. Then the woman took the men and hid them. So she said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And it happened as the gate was shutting when it was dark, or right, this is the city gates, when the city was being all locked down, that the men went out. And then she says, where the men went, I don't know. Pursue them quickly, for you may overtake them. But she had brought them out on the roof and hidden them with the stalks of flax, which had laid in order on the roof. Then the men pursued them by the road to the Jordan, to the fords, or this would be known as like a place of crossing or a pass, known really probably most likely to cross the Jordan River. And as soon as those who pursued them had gone out, 
They shut the gate. Now before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us. Inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you, for we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. Now this was like 38 to 40 years prior. This is what she's talking about, the event, right? When Moses led the people of Israel out. What you did to the, we heard what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. Verse 11, as soon as we heard all these things, our hearts melted, neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord, your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Now, therefore, I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that you also will show me kindness to my father's house. Give me a a true token and spare my father and my mother, my brother and my sisters and all that they have and deliver our lives from death. So the men answered her, our lives for yours. If none of you tells the business of ours and it shall be when the Lord has given us the land that we will deal kindly and truly with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window for her house was on the city wall. She dwelt on the wall and she said to them, get to the mountains lest the pursuers meet you. Hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Afterward, you may go your way. Now, so she had sent the king's men west, right? She, she had sent the, excuse me, she sent the king's men east near the Jordan where the Israel had camped on the other side of the Jordan. But she sends the spies west into the mountains to, to hide. Verse 17, so the men said to her, we will be blameless of this oath of yours, which you have made us swear, unless when we come into the land, you bind this line of scarlet cord in the window through which you lust, which you let us down. Unless you bring your father, your mother, your brothers, and all your father's household to your own home. So it shall be that whoever goes outside the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his head, and we will be guiltless. Whoever is with you in the house, his blood shall be on your head if his hand is laid on him. Verse number 20. And if you tell the business of ours, then we'll be free from your oath, which you made us swear. Then she said, according to your word, so it be. And she sent them away. They departed and she bound the scarlet cord in the window. They departed the mountain. And look, verse number 24. They came back and gave the report. They said to Joshua, truly the Lord has delivered all the, all the land into our hands. For indeed, all the inhabitants of the country are faint-hearted because of us. And what a difference 40 years can make. This is the same thing if you know the, the, the history of Israel that like 38 to 40 years prior to this, Moses sent out the 12 spies. Joshua was one of the 12 spies and only Joshua and Caleb came back with a good report. Only Joshua and Caleb said that God is big enough to handle the problems that we see across the Jordan. But remember the 10 spies, they were fearful and didn't have faith and there are giants over there. We're gonna be like grasshoppers in, the, in their sight and they, they basically swayed the entire nation of Israel to live in faith and not fear. So I find it interesting that now that Joshua is the leader, he doesn't send out 12 spies. How many spies does he send out? Two, like he learned from Moses' mistake, apparently. But I just want to walk back through the text and let's kind of look at the life of Rahab. First is this, her status. Okay, it says that she was a working 
prostitute. I don't think we have to go into detail to explain what that means, but she would, be, would have also been an innkeeper, and we know what they were doing in the inn, and it makes sense that the spies would have gone to her because many men would go in and out, and they thought they could go in and out without being spotted, but that didn't happen, did it? But it's interesting that in the New Testament, she's mentioned three different times, and we'll look at that later Two of the three different times in the New Testament that Rahab has mentioned, the same word is tagged to her that she was a harlot. But what we see in the story is that her story is my story. Because basically what we could say about Rahab, that she's a sinner. Let me ask you a question, you don't have to answer. Are, are you a sinner? Yes or no, you can think about it. You didn't have to answer, but I was hoping you would. Don't lie in church and say no, okay? Paul said, I'm a sinner, of, I'm, a, I'm like the chief sinner. Paul said that our righteousness is as filthy rags. How easy it is for us, it's seemingly the longer we are in church to think, oh yeah, Rahab the, right? But the truth is, we were all in the same situation that Rahab is, that we're sinners in need of grace. Paul said in Ephesians chapter two, by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. What did I say a few minutes ago? You have to come to the realization that your good enough will never be good enough. And although we might want to stack our sins against Rahab's sins and say, oh, yeah, I'm not that. The truth is that one sin separates us from a holy, righteous God. And just like Ruth, we need a redeemer. Just like Rahab, we need to be forgiven. What does Rahab's story tell us? Well, it tells us that no matter your past, you can be forgiven in the present and used in the future. Isn't that great? Let me me say that again. No matter your past, you can be forgiven in the present and used in the future. Your sin is never too great for God's grace. We sing the old song, right? Amazing grace that saved a what? Do you know the word? A wretch. You might not even know what a wretch means. I don't even know if I could define you. It's a bad person. It's me. It's a sinner. Seems like the more we're in church, the wretch is, we're thinking of someone else. We're thinking of Rahab. But her story is my story. And I'm thankful for God's grace. So her status, she was a sinner. Her service, the next thing on the outline here is She was a willing protector. And in verses four through six, she hid them. And just so happens she has these stalks of flack and probably means that her family was somewhat involved in agriculture. And just so interesting that when you harvest the flax, you would make uh, linen or yarn or potentially rope, right? And we read in the story that they, she laid out a scarlet rope in order to free the men and also to order to free her. We'll talk about that in a minute, but let's think for a moment that what she is doing is going against her culture, her city, her country. To hide these men, she's putting her life in 
danger. But she chooses to protect their life in spite of putting her life in danger. She's willing to serve. Ruth, Mary, Rahab, they simply made a decision, I'm gonna serve the Lord. Isn't that the same decision all of us should make every single day? God, I'm here to serve you. And she willingly went against culture. This is a polytheistic culture. They had many gods. But she chooses to serve how she termed it, the God. And we'll get that a little more in a minute. So she was a servant, her status, her service. So she was a protector. Let's look at the most important part, I think, her salvation. And her story is your story. Look back at verse number 10. So in verse number 10, we see that she heard about God. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. When you not, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted, neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord, your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. It's amazing to me that remember 40 years earlier when these miracles happened, that the 10 spies go back to the nation of Israel and they report, God's not big enough. Now, they didn't use those exact words, but that's what they were saying, right? The people over there are too big and they're going to destroy us. And only Joshua and Caleb said, no, our God is big enough. And they heard. She heard. I don't, we don't know how old she is. Most scholars think that she probably wasn't born 40 years prior when all of this happened. And I find it interesting that what her testimony is, is that the pagan people of Jericho had more faith in God than the people of God 40 years prior. What did she say? That we heard what, what your God, what the Lord had done for you and you crossed the Red Sea and we were afraid. We were fearful. Sure doesn't sound like what the 10 spies told Moses does it. What can we learn from this lesson 40 years apart? I would say it this way. Our, our problems must be seen with a proper, pers proper perspective. Our problems must be seen from the proper perspective. Let me, let me put it this way. If you believe God is a big God, then your problems will become small. But if you see God as a small God, your problems will be big. It's a matter of perspective. I just find it interesting that the pagan people thought God was bigger than the people of God. They had the wrong perspective. Goes back to what the angel said to Mary, with God nothing is impossible. She heard about God. That's the first step of faith, right? That's the first step for any of us, even in the room today, is that, that she heard about God. She heard about the Lord, number two. She believed in God. Look at verse number nine and 11 again. And, and she said to the men, verse number nine, I know 
And she makes this, pers- she makes this personal. I know that the, what's the next word? Lord. Capitalized. All caps. And in the Old Testament, when you're reading in your Bible, in the Old Testament, when you see Lord, all caps, what does that mean? What is that name? The, the Hebrew word there is Yahweh. He is the all-existing one. He is creator God. He is the God. And this lady who lives in a polytheistic, that means, if you know what that means, that means they serve all kinds of God. There's the God of the, the, the rain, the God of the sun, the God of the moon, the God of the water, the God of whatever. It's like all these little bitty gods. And she is saying, I've made a decision. I've heard of this Lord of yours. And now I believe in this Lord. He is the one and only God. Look at verse number 11. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted, neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you for the Lord again. He is God in heaven, above, and beneath Again, I see that it's interesting that 40 years prior, many of the Jews actually saw the miracle of God but didn't believe. This pagan woman had heard of the miracles of God and she believed. What a woman of faith. What a woman who would just say, I, I've heard of God, I've heard of Yahweh, I've heard of the Lord, the existing one, the creator who's above all things and I belief. And again, I would say her story is my story. I hope her story is your story. You've heard of the God who saves, and I pray that you will believe in the God who saves. Well, the next part of this is she demonstrated her faith. She hid the spies. She hung the rope outside the window. Look at verse number 18. And they were saying, unless we come into the land and you bind this line of scarlet cord in the window. So as the story goes, right, they said that we're going to, and remember the, the two spies, they don't know the war, you know, they don't know the game plan yet. They don't know that they're just going to march around seven times and the walls are going to, God's going to give this great battle, like weird battle plan, but it's all going to say God is big. God can handle it. God can do it. They don't know what the battle plan is at this point. They simply say, we need to, we need to identify who you are. So throw this scarlet red out the window and when we come, we will not destroy your family. And if all, whoever your family is in here, that's who we're going to protect. If they're not in here, that's on you. But the marker was going to be this scarlet cord. And what you have to understand about the scriptures is that from Old Testament to the end, what is often what says there's always this scarlet thread that runs throughout the entire scriptures. The scarlet thread is representation of blood. It's a representation of sacrifice. It's what Hebrews would say that without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. It represents forgiveness is available. It represents that redemption is available. This is a picture of back to the Passover when the nation of Israel 40 years prior would sacrifice the lamb and put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. And when the angel would come to the house and see the blood, what would the angel do? He would pass over. 
and there would be not, no judgment for that house. This scarlet thread, again, represents the blood. And when the war, the battle came, this scarlet thread would represent judgment would pass over. So she hears, she believes, and it's demonstrated by faith, by action. And then she completely has compassion for her family, right? She, she's placed her faith in the Lord, and then she says, let's make a deal. Sorry, I had a thinking of that old game show. Anybody remember that? Get out of my head. Let's make a deal. I don't, I don't want to just save my life. I want to save my family's life. Listen to this statement from Skit Heitzig. It says this, salvation is so valuable that once you've received it, you want to share it. It wasn't enough for her to place her faith in the Lord. She wanted someone else. She wanted her family to also be rescued, to be redeemed, to be restored, to have salvation. And let me just for a moment prod a little bit. If you've given your life to the Lord, you've, you've heard and you've believed. If there's not a demonstration of that faith, if there's not a burning passion in your heart for others to know who Jesus is, you might really think, what kind of faith do I have? This is where Rahab is mentioned twice in the New Testament. Look at Hebrews, it'll be on the screen, Hebrews eleven thirty one. By faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. There was some action that came with her faith. James chapter two, verse 25 says, likewise, after he just mentioned Abraham, Abraham was, was saved by his faith and justified by his actions. But look what verse 25, James chapter two, likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by her works when she received the messenger and sent them out another way? And James would say faith without works is it's dead, it's non-existent, it's pointless, it's meaningless. She heard about the Lord, she believed the Lord, and that led her to action. The same is true for us. Her story should be our story. Matthew chapter one, this is where, like a plot twist, okay? Matthew chapter one. If you know much about Matthew chapter one, this is the genealogy of, of Christ. Verse number five. I don't know how to pronounce his name. Can we just agree to say it together? Do we want to, do we want to call him Salmon or Salmon? I, I think if I say Salmon, I'm just going to get hungry. All right, we got to vote. Who says Salmon? Who says Salmon? Who says, you don't, no, I'm just kidding. It really doesn't matter. Jewish, Jewish culture, it's not, it, we don't know this from scripture. We don't, we don't know where he came, like he comes out of left field, we'll say that, but Jewish culture would say that this man, what do we decide, Salmon, that he was one of the two spies. I don't know that for sure, it's not in the Bible, okay? But it makes the story really cool. If hopefully, hopefully that's true. It really doesn't matter. But look what it says. 
He begot Boaz by Rahab. Wait, didn't we just talk about Boaz a few minutes ago? And who was Boaz? Who does Boaz picture? Jesus. He's a type of Christ. He was the redeemer. Rahab is the mother of Boaz. When I say that you can be forgiven in the present from your past and used in the future, this is what Rahab's story says to all of us. There is hope for me. That no one is so bad that they can't be used of God. That no one is so far that God's grace can't reach them. And you walk in here and you think, if I can clean myself up and if I can be good enough, maybe, just maybe, I can receive the grace of God. And what I'm telling you is, your good enough will never be good enough. It doesn't have to be. The reality is no one is so bad that God can't reach them. And no one is so good that they don't need to be reached. Well, let's finish. I got so excited. I didn't even finish the verse. And Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. And Obed begot Jesse. And Jesse begot David the king. And she's the great, great grandmother of King David. Isn't that cool? And again, we see the scarlet thread of the sovereignty of God. God is always working. You see, God can turn your mess into his message. And he wants to use your story for his glory. So cool. I love this statement. Again, this is from Skip Heitzig. He says, nature forms us. Sin deforms us. Schools inform us. Prisons reform us. The world conforms us but only Jesus transforms us. No matter your past, you've been forgiven in the present and used in the future. Romans ten seventeen says this, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And Romans ten thirteen says, whoever calls in the name of the Lord shall be saved. I continue to say this morning, Rahab's story is my story. I've said a few times, Rahab's story is your story. I've said a few times this morning, I hope Rahab's story will be your story. And it's simple. Sin separates us from a holy, righteous God, and every one of us are sinners. Every one of us need to be redeemed. Every one of us need to do exactly what Rahab did. She heard of the Lord, she believed in the Lord, and then she acted on it. And if you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, I, I, listen, I'm not asking you if you're a member of this church or any other church. I'm not asking you if your grandma or grandpa was a pastor or a preacher or if you were born in the church. I'm not asking you any of those questions because honestly, none of that really in the scheme of eternity doesn't matter. My dad was a preacher since, I, he was a lead pastor since I was 11 months old. And you know what, you know what clout that gave me in heaven? Zero. Absolutely nothing. 
And on June, I used to say June the 6th, but I had a, a, uh, a moment of enlightenment yesterday. I realized that June the 6th was a Thursday, but when I got saved, it was like two o'clock in the morning, which would have been Friday morning. So now I gotta tell you, June the 7th, 1991, I realized I'm a sinner. I've never placed my faith in Jesus. It's never been mine. Remember what she said there? I know that the Lord, I believe in Yahweh. I believe God sent Jesus to die for me. And my challenge for you this morning is very simple. Would you follow Rahab? She was a prostitute who became a princess a harlot who becomes the heroine. She was a lady who walked in the night, who became the lady who walked in the light. That could be you. I'm gonna ask you just to close your eyes for a moment. And just in the quietness of this moment, if, if God has revealed to you that you need to give your life to Jesus, call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. If God has revealed that to you this morning, I'm begging you, don't put it off. I'm begging you in this moment right now, I'm gonna lead you through a prayer and the prayer is a simple prayer of confession. It's admitting, yes, I'm a sinner. It's believing, yes, Jesus died for me. It's confessing that Jesus is the only way, that he's the truth and that he's the life and I'm trusting for my salvation in Jesus and only Jesus. And if that's you this morning, right where you're at, right now in this moment, would you, would you pray? You may say something like this, God, I admit in this moment that I am a sinner. I believe Jesus died for me. And I confess, Jesus is Lord, I ask you to forgive me, to redeem me, to save me. And if you prayed that, can I tell you, God said yes. You now belong to him. And I want to ask real quick this morning, did anyone pray and give their life to Jesus. If, if you did that, would, as their eyes are closed, would you just put your hand up for a moment? I, I'm not gonna call you out. I just wanna pray for you. Anyone like that, just put your hand up. All right, thank you. Anyone else, just put it out. It's, it's dark, it's hard for me to see. Just put your hand up. I see one, Any, anyone else. I pray to give my life to the Lord today. Anyone else? All right, you can, you can put your hands down. The truth is, whether I saw your hand or not, it doesn't matter, because God saw you. God heard you. God redeemed you. I would encourage you and challenge you to tell someone today. Maybe someone invited you. Maybe you want to come tell me. I'll, I'll be standing in the foyer as soon as the service is over. But I just want to challenge you. God, God adopted you and his family. You've been redeemed. You've been restored. 
God, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for love and grace and mercy. We thank you, Lord, that even you, the King of kings, Lord of lords, you can turn the mess we make into a message. I thank you for that. I thank you for the story of Rahab, Lord, that it reminds us that we're never too far, that you can't reach us. Thank you for this one that that I know of that has prayed to receive you. I pray you would give them courage and strength to talk to someone about it. Lord, we love you and we thank you. I'm gonna invite you to stand with me this morning. And we're gonna close the service with a time of worship through song. Of course, the altar is always available if you just wanna come and pray. And maybe today it's just, thank you God for allowing me to hear the story of the gospel, that I was able to respond to the story of the gospel. Maybe it's to pray for your one today. Someone told me right before church this morning that they put one of uh, two of those ping pong balls in to pray for the one. And one of their people they've been praying for the last four Sundays have been in church somewhere. Isn't that awesome? You can celebrate, that's awesome. So maybe, maybe today is just to, to be reminded, let's, let's pray for our one. God's moving and God is good.